the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. He is the star of Revelation. He is the one that commands our attention. And it is that attention that we will give to our elder brother, the Lord Christ, next on Abounding Grace. Join us. Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. This is Abounding Grace. Hi there, and welcome to our program. Recently, we began an excursion through the book of Revelation. Today, we turn our attention back to chapter 1, verses 4 through 20, as we focus in on the star of Revelation, the one who commands our attention throughout the whole book from beginning to end. Please join us for a very exciting look at Revelation. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. When it says, behold, he keeps on coming, it means he keeps on coming into history and intervenes to display his glory and the rescue of his church from those who would do his church harm. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Now, that's an allusion to Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 and 12. There we read, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn over him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Then, verse 12, the land will mourn every family by itself. Now, in the context of Zechariah 12, it is a prophecy that God is going to save the Jewish people. He's going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon the seed of Abraham, upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he says, they will look on me whom they have pierced. Now, that word pierced should give away the fact that this is talking about Christ, the Jews giving up Christ to crucifixion. And they, the house of David, will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep literally over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn, and the land will mourn. Now let's go back to verse 7 of Revelation 1. Behold, he keeps on coming with the clouds to display his glory and the judgment of his enemies and the enemies of his church, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. They will see this display of his glory, that is the house of David, and all the tribes. Now, why do you think he put the word tribes here? It is an abbreviation of what was said in Zechariah 5, for all the tribes of Israel, all of the tribes of the Jews will see him. On 
the earth. Earth can also mean, in Greek, the land. Zechariah 12.12 said, and the land will mourn. So you see, rather than a picture of the second coming, verse 7 is a picture of the triumph of grace and peace in the intervention of the Lord Jesus Christ into history to display His glory in the rescue of His people and the destruction of His enemies generation after generation after generation. And in the first century, those people who persecuted Him and crucified the tribes of the land will all mourn when he shows his power in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So, what that is, is an attempt to understand the verse in the New Testament from its roots, its allusions to the Old Testament text. So, it says, the book of Revelation is not so much about the second coming of Christ as it is about the continuous intervention of Christ into world history, beginning in the first century with the destruction of Jerusalem and then later with the destruction of Rome and his intervention into history until his church is exalted over all. The book of Revelation ends with these words, Even so come, Lord Jesus. That's one of the very last verses Now, what tense is this? It's present. So when you pray, even come, so come, Lord Jesus, you are not primarily praying for the second coming of Christ. You are praying, even so, keep on coming, Lord Jesus, into history until the final coming, that second time physically at the end of the world. So the book of Revelation is about this constant intervention of the reigning Christ into history to save his people from their enemies. Now let's go to verses 10 through 20. The title of this sermon today is The Star of Revelation. And here it describes that star. Remember now what the book of Revelation is about. The first words of verse 1, of verse 1, chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the unveiling of a person. It's not a chronology. It's not a philosophy, but the unveiling of a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And now John is going to describe this vision of the majestic, victorious Christ who dominates the rest of the book of Revelation because the ultimate hope the ultimate encouragement, the ultimate motivation for perseverance, even when our enemies seem to be overwhelming us, is not a principle. It is not an idea. It is not a doctrine. It is not a philosophy. It is the living and exalted person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this section is presented in images, and they are beautiful images, overwhelming images. And this description of the reigning Christ has four sections to it. In verse 17, you see the revelation of the all-sufficiency of Christ. In verse 18 and following, you see the revelation of the perfect redemption of Christ. And then also, in those same verses, you see the revelation of the universal dominion of Christ. Now, let's look at this glorious picture. Let me read it to you again. Bear in mind... 
It is a metaphorical description of Christ in all of his glory as he reigns over the earth as the ruler of the kings of the earth on behalf of his people to protect them from their two great enemies, apostate religion and anti-Christian Rome. It says, I was in the spirit or I was fellowshipping with God because of the Holy Spirit's involvement in my life. It was on the Lord's day. The only day that had any kind of special recognition in the first century, which was the first day of the week, the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So even though John was alone on this island, exiled, God was there with him. And God was fellowshipping with him on a Sunday, on the Lord's day, John was in the spirit. And he heard behind him a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in the book what you see. Now, beloved, there is his commission for writing the book of Revelation. And it says, send it to the seven churches. Of course, those churches in Asian Minor. And then I turned to see that the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one that looked like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like the snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been burned in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in his strength. Verse 20, as the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. In the Greek... The word for angel is messenger or preacher. Now, in verses 12 through 16, you see all of these gorgeous symbols of Christ's perfections manifested time after time throughout the history of his people. That white hair, Christ's eternity, his divine majesty, his eyes of fire that burn through everything, Christ's searching omniscience. He knows the hearts of men. His brass feet and his voice like many waters are his holy and irresistible providence. His royal robes and candlesticks. He is seen there as a priestly king in the midst of his church. The seven stars in his hands are Christ upholding and protecting the heralds of the gospel. The sword in his mouth is obviously his powerful all-conquering word and his shining countenance. That is his radiance, his splendor, his unapproachable holiness. This glorified Christ, this image of Christ had such an impact upon John in verse 17. He said, then I saw him. I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his hands upon me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Now, that's the only appropriate response you can make to a Christ like this, right? If Christ was to walk into this room and we were to see him as he is described here, I'm sure none of us would go up to him and say, hey, how you doing, bud? 
It's finally good to meet you. You certainly wouldn't treat him as an equal. There wouldn't be any over-familiarity with him. If you saw Christ in all of his glory, the only appropriate response would be to fall down at his feet like a dead man. Because you deserve such a holy being to destroy you. What does Isaiah do when he saw God lifted up in all of his glory on the throne in Isaiah 6? He saw him surrounded by all of those glorious angels with the radiance filling the temple. And the angels were singing, holy, holy, holy. And how did Isaiah respond? Isaiah said, woe is me, I am undone. He literally said, I'm a dead man. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king in all of his glory. When Isaiah saw this great symbolic representation of God, he knew he should die on the spot. So he denounces himself. And that is the same type of attitude John had here. He saw Christ and he fell down as if he were dead. If I'm not dead, I certainly deserve to die. I am in no way deserving of being in the presence of such a being as this. I ask you, is that our attitude about Christ? Or do we just take him for granted? You know, I can't stand greeting cards that say, Lordy, Lordy, so-and-so is 40. People have all kinds of light ways of talking about this magnificent person. And when we think about Christ and talk about Christ, it must not be with our over-familiarity as if he was our body or our equal but we must view him in deep reverence and awe that such a being as this would allow me to even live. In verse 17, we also see the all-sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand on me. Now, notice, this is John describing the scene. I'm sure he never God over this. However long he lived thereafter, I'm sure he never got over the fact that this glorious being who should have killed him instead of killing him gently laid his hand upon his shoulder and helped him up and said to him, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. The only people who need to be afraid of me are the apostate Jews and the anti-Christian Romans. You don't need to be afraid of me. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and hell. He is saying, I am the A and the Z of salvation. John, you were elected in me and you will be glorified in me. And everything about your salvation is in union with me. I am the fountain of all life, physical, spiritual, eternal. I stand over death 
swallowing up by the power of my resurrection and all the movements of my providence. Everything that happens in life originates in my holy will and advances the purposes of my grace. And John, you are an heir of all of these rich promises. As long as I hold the keys of death and hell, you have nothing to be afraid of. You know, keys are a great symbol in Scripture. They're used in various times. The keys of the kingdom were given to the leadership of the church. Now, what do you do with a key? You open and shut. You lock and unlock. I'm sure you've heard of the symbolic giving of a key to the city to a certain person. In the old days, it meant to give them authority. A key was a symbol of the authority to rule or to govern. And Jesus is saying, John, I know you are on the island of Patmos. I know you are being persecuted by the Jews and by the Romans, but you don't have anything to be afraid of as long as I have all of the authority over death and over hell. You will not die until I say your time has come because of the apostate Jews. All of the tyrannical Romans are under my control. I have redeemed you. I am the Lord of your life. I am the living one. I laid down my life on the cross. My atonement is complete. My intercession for you is eternal. You are, you have nothing at all to be afraid of. I am the living one who allowed myself to be crucified for my people like you. Now I am alive again to intercede for you. And to administer to every believer everything I died to give them. Verse 18 again. I am the living one and I was dead and behold I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of hell. He has the keys to everything. Everything is under his control. He has universal dominion. If he controls death. And the grave and hell, he controls everything else, beloved. He guides the course of events of human history in all of its details. And the book of Revelation, in the, and in the book of Revelation, it is particularly obvious that Christ controls even all the satanic and demonic forces on earth. Now verse 19. John, write the things which you have seen and the things which are, that is, in my description of these churches in Turkey found in chapters 2 and 3. And the things that will take place after these things. As I continue to move history toward its appointed goal. Then John explains a couple of symbols. Now, what is beautiful about the book of Revelation is that most of the symbols are taken from passages that we've seen earlier in the Bible. And if they're not taken from passages found earlier in the Bible, you're given a quick explanation of the images in the book of Revelation itself. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you see now in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches. Look over at chapters 2 and 3. Notice how they start. 
verse 1, to the angel. That is the messenger, the preacher of the church of Ephesus, verse 8. And to the angel, that is the preacher, the messenger of Smyrna. So he writes these letters to the various preachers who will be leading the worship services. And you see a worship service in verse 3 of chapter 1. Look at that worship service. It says, blessed is he who reads and those who heed the words of this prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. So the picture here is of a preacher, singular, he, standing before the church in these various towns. And they hear him read these letters and this prophecy to the various churches. And then he calls them to take heed. Now, That is a particular encouragement to me. For him to say that these seven stars that he holds in his right hands are the preachers of the seven churches. When a preacher hears those words, they should greatly be an encouragement to him. He should not be moved by the mere listeners. He should not be moved by your smiles. He is not afraid of his critics because the only thing that concerns him is that he is held in the right hand of this glorious figure and no one can effectively touch a hair on his head without it being the will of the glorified Christ. Oh, that should embolden preachers of the true gospel and it should also encourage you the local congregation for the lampstands, which Christ stands in the midst of are the seven churches, the seven local congregations, which is a great picture, the glorified reigning conquering Christ who sits at the right hand is also of God is also present and lives among this congregation here on earth by the power of his Holy spirit. The glorified Christ is here. The glorified Christ lives among us and works and acts among us and protects us and watches over us. Not only from his throne on high, but also by the power of the Holy Spirit who brings Christ present infinitely near to us. So these four aspects of the revelation of Christ pervade the entire book. Try and get these aspects down because you are going to hear them over and over as we continue this study. In the picture of Christ, you see his glorious perfections. You see his all-sufficiency. You see his perfect redemption. And you see his universal dominion. And throughout all the visions of the symbols of the book of Revelation, here our great priestly king say to us, In the midst of all the pressures and the warring on the battlefield of earth, don't be afraid. I am among the candlesticks. Feel his hand upon your shoulder when you feel like you're being beaten down. But remember, you deserve to be destroyed by him. But he loves you. And he says he will take care of you. Think of Christ as at your side always. In his right hand on you. 
and his other hand holding tightly the reins of the history of the world. So you see, this is a great book about the crucified Christ and his relationship with you in the midst of all the battles that you have to fight in this world. In this world, you will have tribulation. He said that. But he also said, Fear not, for I have overcome the world. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us, and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Mm-hmm.